So basically in springtime we did part, the, the first three chapters, a, a part of the book of Revelation, when we talked about the whole actually idea of God revealing himself to John in order to address the churches. And there were so, seven churches in Asia Minor that they had a special address and they needed to do certain things according um, to, to what God wanted them to do to be God's people. And um, usually the tendency is to stop with the book of Revelation there because everything onwards from chapter 4 to chapter three, uh, 23, it becomes very complicated then. And uh, it becomes... Um, a com- well, it becomes a source of all the different interpretations that there are about, about the symbolics and about the numbers and about all those things that come. Um, and to be honest, it's not an easy read book because you have to really follow the whole symbolism and the whole um, analogy. So what we did last week, we kind of opened up the, the next stage of the book of Revelation. And I said that, um, imagine that you have been invited to this theater and all of a sudden the first three, four chapters, the first three chapters are, you know, the scene, the curtains opening up. And in one sense, what we're going to see in these chapters together onwards is what goes on on the background, what goes on on the backstage. And it's, it's fascinating to, 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 to immerse yourself in the, the intensity of the symbolism, but at the same time, it's so confusing sometimes because it's such an intense book. And because it doesn't have come with clear explanations, then you end up coming out of it very confused. This is not the purpose. This is not the purpose what we're going through our study. The purpose is for us to get a taste of the book, for us to get an appreciation from what is going on, actually. Although, what we're about to read today is pretty tough and pretty hard-going. So, um, last week we dealt with chapter 4 and 5, and I said that... In, in essence, or in, in all of it, they, they, they really stand out as, as fantastic chapters for worship. But the vision continues. And John has got this vision that is given to him by Jesus. And he needs to, to pass it on to the recipients. So, um, I've asked Wendy to to read chapter 6. And again, I need to remind myself and remind you that in reading the book of the Revelation, the promise is that there is blessing. The person who reads it and the recipients. This is chapter 6 of Revelation. And it's headed the seals... I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow 
and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Thank you. So let's... let's review a little bit of what's going on here. Last Sunday we talked that actually as the seals were revealed, the question was, who is worthy to open the seals? And then the picture that John had, there's only one person who's worthy to open the seals. And remember the, the, the illustration that I gave of that wax seal that's only Jesus 
we, we got reminded from chapter 4 and chapter 5, is worthy to open these seals. The problem is that these seals are not how we want them to be. Because somehow they portray God's judgment. And as people, naturally, we don't want to think about God's judgment. Actually, we don't want to talk about judgment full stop. And we need to remember that while the seals are open, there is only one person who is worthy to open the seals. Because he is the only one who is able to save us from the judgment. Because of what he has accomplished on the cross, through his death and his resurrection. So the first seal opens and here we've got a picture of a horseman with a white horse. There are two trends of interpretation here. We're not going to stop there a lot, but I just wanted to tell you that there is a majority of interpreters that think that the white horse here is the Antichrist. And there is a small number that they think that perhaps the white horse is Jesus himself. My view is that if Jesus is the one that is opening the seals, he could not be one of the horsemen. So I'll tend to think more that he would be the Antichrist. Because also what is pictured here is, is more of a tyrannic, do you call it tyrannic? Tyrannic? Um, a tyrant point. It, it, it's quite powerful, you know? A white horse, he was given a crown and he rode out and conquered and bent on conquest. So it's, it's quite a, a powerful illustration of, of power, of tyranny. And if you go to the second horse, or the horseman, is the one that talks about war. And the word that is used in Greek here, actually, is slaughter. So it's, it's quite serious. And then the, th- the, the third is the, the black horse. And it kind of pictures you know, poverty and famine. And then the fourth horse was a, a pale green, which was in ancient terms just to describe death. Now this is not a good way to start a sermon. You, you come to the congregation you're saying, today we're going to talk about the four horsemen. One is called tyranny, the other is called slaughter, the other is called um, famine, and the other is called death. Look at your faces. <laughs> I want to sit down. <laughs> the fifth seal is the one of the saints' suffering. Those who have chosen to follow Christ. And as a consequence, their suffering. And this is so relevant for the people who are receiving these things, because actually, 
What is going on in their, in their land at those times? Well, they're being oppressed by a terrible power. They're being oppressed by war and slaughter. They've been have to dislocate it. Some of them are struggling financially. Some of them are struggling because they're in a new country and stuff. And also, they're being persecuted because of what choices they've made to follow Christ. And then, the sixth seal. This is the seal of earthquake and catastrophe. Something that is astronomic. And this is the seal that everybody is looking for a place to hide. But they they really are really running to save their souls. And again, it's a picture of judgment. But what, what do we do with this then? And how, how can we relate as 21st century Christians to these pictures? What is it there for us as, as recipients 21 year, centuries after this, this book has been written? What is something that we can draw out of this? If you remember that last Sunday we spoke about the song of the old. What was the song of the old? And it boiled down to God being the creator. And then we were introduced in chapter 5 about the new song that the angel said and said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And there is this continuation now. There is this, this I would say, there is this continuation of continuing to sing this song, although things are tough. For the New Testament Christians, it was very clear they couldn't identify with this judgments. And there are three sets of judgments. So next Sunday we're going to be talking about the seven trumpets and seven bowls. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this as, as judgment, as, as an idea. But what we're going to spend time on is what is our response when we read this? Because whether we believe that this book of Revelation has got a futuristic or has got a historic or has got a, something that is uh, never going to happen view, interpretation. I think, personally, I believe that there is elements of this that we see in our world today. I mean, look, look what's going on in the world when it comes to power. You've got world leaders fighting like people playing in the, or children playing in the playground. And you think, how can this happen? For somebody so powerful to be so stupid. Very easily. So we can identify with that. Look what's going on in the likes of war. The things that we... The, the, the thing that is so sad about the Western culture is that we've got a very selective information 
about wars and slaughter and stuff. And the problem with our media is that they're very selective and to, 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 to picture to us things that really interest them. But this world is a mess. And it's not only about the wars that we, we know of or we know very little of. But it's also about wars that we don't even know that they exist because we don't read about them on the BBC page or we don't hear about it on news at 10 o'clock. And yet, there are people that are being affected by wars, by slaughter. Look what's going on with the refugees. Famine. Hasn't this been the problem of the years, of the ages? And we try to resolve it on our human capacity and, you know, we can do it. Come on, we are so self-sufficient. We're 21st century people. And yet, again, this is a foe to our society to our world. It's an enemy. And then, death. And then, saints suffering. It was in the first century. It's going on today. And again, we are aware of certain situations. And again, I think as a church, we've got a very good idea and we've got passion to pray for people who are persecuted because of Christ's sake. But again, we are very limited. And yet, we know that even in this country, we've got people who are being persecuted. Even in this city, we've got people who are persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Because of their allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I've got friends back home who, who, who are in these situations. And then we've got the sixth um, seal, which is a catastrophe, and what's going on in America and what's going on in Latin America and all those things that are happening. It's very interesting to, to, to hear people's comments when you, when you talk about this, this, you know, for example, with the, the hurricane and stuff, that all of a sudden it becomes a language of who's to blame about this. And what we get from the book of Revelation... It's not about blame. I think the pictures that we get here is that in all of this, if God is the creator, and if God has really wanted for this creation to be redeemed and has been so patient with us to embrace him, there is an expectation now that actually, I was reading one of the uh, one of the commentators saying that actually 
There are three options when you play a chess match. You win it, you draw it, or you pick up the board and you throw it. (laughs) And the intention of the people is for God to see all of this. Pick up the board and throw it. And start everything fresh. Because actually, in the day and age that we live, we want it instantly fixed. And we cannot identify things that they are there for us to say, well, what is it then? If this is the situation, if this is the, 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 the unopening of the seals, what is our fashion and the strategy of the way that we present the gospel against these foe enemies? What is our response? So if we know that there is this element of judgment, if we know that there is an element of these things happening, well, what should our response be? And I think for me it's very clear that actually, although there is, there is this call, and it came very, I couldn't have not said it better than Richard said it this morning when we are praying, Yes, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, there is this call to worship. But in the middle of worship, there is this call to follow. And it's the following that is the hard bit. It's the following that becomes a, a, a very enormous task. Because... It's not something that we can do it quick. In an instant, hamburger, McDonald's society. So the call here for you and me is, what is our response then with the gospel? If we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for whosoever believes... Continue with the verse then, but I'll stop here. Are we making the most of this tool if we know that these things are going to happen? I think it's a wake-up call for us as 21st century Christians. And it's not a wake-up call because of fear, but it's a wake-up call of us calibrating the with the heart of God that he wants for people to be saved from this judgment. So the wake-up call is for me, is my heart beating on the same beat with the heart of God? If I know that actually it's going to be tough. Well, it's been tough for the 20, last 21st, 21 centuries, hasn't it? It's a wake-up call because I think, as I said earlier on, we don't want to talk about judgment. Also, we are very, I think we've got a very wrong understanding of who God is. As a church, but also the people that surround us. Of who God is and how he actually 
works out in this world. So, yes, it starts, as Richard said, with worship. And I think that's the place where we recognize and acknowledge and really see who God is and what he can do. But let's not stop there. It's the falling bit that is very hard. And sometimes, if we're going to be really good demonstrators of the gospel, then we need to be good demonstrators of the gospel being good news and transforming in us in order that it can have an effect and impact unto others. So, it's a reminder. It's a wake-up call. It's something that actually the prophets of the Old Testament has been crying out for to their generations. It's something that John the Baptist cried out before Jesus even came to the scene. And then the mandate that Jesus gave to the disciples to go into the world and make disciples. To follow Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is that if Christ is the only one who is worthy to open the seals one by one, and you have not embraced Christ as such, there is no hope. It's going to be so gloomy. Yes, the fifth seal talks about the saints that are being persecuted. Yes, there is a prayer there. How long, O Lord? But yes, there is an answer to that prayer as well. So there is no unanswered prayer. And perhaps you're here today and you're thinking, well, I've been praying and I've been trying to share the gospel with this particular individual or I've been trying my best to be an example of being Jesus and yet there is no response. Don't give up. Don't give up. There is no unanswered prayer. Yes, sometimes it's wait and sometimes it's not what we want. But there is no unanswered prayer. So, as we've been reminded today of the song of the old, song of the new, and actually this uncomfortable seals unopening, being reminded again of who is worthy to unopen the seals, The encouragement is to keep going. And it's a little bit like, not because we, want, we know the end of the story, but I think the, 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 the human reaction is for us to sort it out immediately. It's a bit like, I don't know where I, I've seen this, but... Um, Maybe you that know films well. I remember I watched once a film of somebody who um, read the newspaper one day before the head of time. 
So if he read on the paper that there was this um, block of flats in fire, he would, he would read it one day before the time, and then he would show himself to that block of flats. And while it was catching fire, he was trying to save it and extinguish the fire. And I think sometimes, as, as, as churches, we're trying to find ourselves as problem solvers. The problem is solved. What are we doing with the solution? And while we are at the horses, I've got a joke. There were two friends who decided to go and watch a film in the cinema. And there was a film about the two horses. A black one and a white one. Halfway through the film, one friend says to the other, I bet you a thousand pounds that it's the black horse that is going to win. The film finished. The friend told to his friend, It's a shame. It's the fifth time that I watched the film and it's the white horse that is winning all the time. (laughs) And sometimes, as a church, we are naive in our response to the solution. It's the five times that we come to the solution and we say it's the white horse that's going to win. Yes, It is the white horse that is going to win. But it's not the white horse of chapter 5. It's the white horse of chapter 21. And then, chapter 7. There is a suspense between seal 6 revealed and seal 7 revealed. I don't know why John is doing this. But there is this sense of completeness. The four angels holding the four corners of the earth. Holding back four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land and on the sea or any tree. And then he heard the numbers of those who were sealed. And this is again a different seal. It was a stamp of ownership. 144,000. Now, if you talk to the Jehovah Witnesses, they would say that there are only, out of the whole creation, there are 144,000 people that would be chosen. The rest, we don't know. What a hopeless message. I would suggest that the 144,000 here is a message of completeness, of wholeness. Because that's the beauty of God working His plan of salvation when He says that there is no language, there is no nation, there is no one who is not going to be represented 
before the throne of grace. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the fulfillment of God's plan in his economy. Because he himself wanted disciples of all nations. And look what you've got here. Verse 9 of chapter 7. After this I looked and there before me there was a great multitude that no one could count. Every nation, tribe, people, language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robe sands and holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out loud in voice salvation belongs to the God to the Lord where else were the palm branches used before Christ's entry in Jerusalem one week before his crucifixion and what did they say Hoshana save us and what did Jesus do He saved. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I'm going to finish here. We got reminded last week about the song of the old. And we said, what is our new song? My question is, Our challenge is, what is our new song today? But also, let's start rehearsing the last song. And the last song that they cried out in loud voice is, Salvation, the ultimate song, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in order for this song to be so tangible, we need to start learning it. Although it's very easy words, the tune is very difficult. And we need to remind ourselves and rehearse it over and over again because what is written here is true. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I'll stop here. Thank you for your word, Father God. And thank you for its difficulties that brings Thank you that although it's ancient it has got the power to speak to us as well. And it's life and gives life. And I want to acknowledge the fact Lord that today we have dealt with a difficult passage. Thank you that only you are worthy to open those seals.
because you have brought a solution. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this week you will enable us and help us to be still looking at you and who you are. And enable us, Lord, to be burdened by the situation of the world, of our world where we live in, not only here in Bristol, but across the lands. And help us, Lord, to be passionate about the message of deliverance and rescue that only Jesus can bring. And as we rehearse this song of your salvation, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. who is the giver and the fulfiller of our salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen.